0: Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the podcast that features conversations with writers of all types. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by Babo Botanicals. B-A-B-O Botanicals. Babo Botanicals offers your family non-toxic and pure hair, skin, and sun solutions created with effective natural or organic ingredients. You can buy their products on Amazon or check them out at babobotanicals.com. Today I'm excited to be with Courtney Mom, who is the author of two novels, Touch and I Am Having So Much Fun Here Without You. She inked a non-fiction book deal just last month, ironically called After the Book Deal, which will come out in 2019. Touch is about a trend forecaster hired to predict the next trends in technology for a giant tech company. Problems arise when she starts to feel like the next big thing is going to be a return to in-person interactions. Touch was rated one of NPR's best books of the year, and it was a New York Times editor's choice. A graduate of Brown University, Courtney has published essays in the New York Times and O, the Oprah magazine, and has co-written films that have premiered at Sundance and won awards at Cannes. She has worked as a trend forecaster, a creative brand strategist, a Corona promoter in Paris, and a corporate namer for MAC Cosmetics. She currently lives with her husband and daughter in Connecticut, where she founded the collaborative retreat The Cabins. So welcome, Courtney. <laughs> Thank thanks, you. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, so for listeners who haven't read your latest novel, Touch, can you tell me a
1: little more about it and how you came up with the idea for sure, it? Sure, I'd be happy to. So Touch is my second book, and it is about a um, an American trend forecaster named Sloane Jacobson who has lived in France for about the past two decades, and she's called on assignment to New York City to work for what's basically a turducken of (laughs) Google, um, Amazon, and Apple. Um, Specifically, she's tasked with forecasting the next trends in technology, but while she's there, she starts to feel like the next trends in technology are going to be no technology at all, a return to -to face-to-face interactions and and touch and intimacy. this is problematic because it's against her, her client's um, interests, stated interests and their bottom line. And also she has a, a life partner, uh, a zany French guy who's been going around publishing these op-eds on um, <laughs> post-sexuality and the death of penetrative sex. And um, our fearless heroine finds herself in a little bit of a conundrum. <laughs> and I came, I came to write Touch... It it actually came out of, uh, as many of my books do, um, a failed attempt to write a different book, um, which when I showed that draft to my agent, she said, you know, the only thing... She said it nicer than this, <laughs> but she said the only thing worth, worth holding on to in this book is this woman's job. Her her job is very interesting. In, in that particular rendition of the book... Um, the Sloan character had been a prop stylist, specifically for Crate and Barrel. Okay. And I had made her a prop... I was sort of circling around my a past where I had worked as a trend forecaster, but I I don't know. I hadn't worked up the courage to go there yet. It's a little bit of an abstract occupation that a lot of people don't understand. It's also... I was under a lot of NDA, non-disclosure mm-hmm, agreements, you know? and... Um, but... I guess this was in let's see 2015 I started thinking of the idea and I around that time I was for me at least in my social circle that's when I started noticing that my friends were just everyone was looking at their phone all the time and you letting their phone make all the decisions for them you know if if they were hungry they'd ask their phone what they should eat and where they should eat and so I was thinking well gosh I wonder I wonder if uh, intuition is something that if you don't practice and if you let it, you know, um, get rusty, mm-hmm. could human beings actually lose their sense of intuition? And I thought about my prop stylist, trend forecaster, and I thought, well, what could I, what could I do with a woman who, you know, makes her living off of her intuitions? What, what if she starts to, what if I- intuition isn't interesting to people anymore? And 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 so slowly, I started building uh the book that would many drafts later <laughs> become touch
0: <laughs> do you feel like you have that same intuitive intuitive sense of intuition where you can almost predict things that are coming
1: at times so i mean so i do sometimes feel that i mean i don't think that i'm alone i think a lot of artists have a little bit of a heightened awareness and certainly novelists are i think they're paying more attention than than most people they're Thinking perhaps more than most people about people's motivations, and um, you know, it's our job to be aware. So, ma- yeah, I think maybe um, I've lived now in the countryside for over a decade, so it's if I did have a, a skill, it's it's you know distilled a little bit because I'm 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 mostly around trees and squirrels and senior citizens now. I'm not really in the heart of you know. The, the 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 trends that are happening but yeah I mean it's there a little bit
0: (laughs) I feel like another big element of touch is the relationship sort of what happens to families after you lose a parent Mm, because I felt like that whole dimension was like a whole other part of the book that was super interesting and moving and um
1: yeah I mean I think um when the book first came out the press was very nice to me, but they focused a lot on the technology aspect, where in fact the, 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 the family struggles and Sloane's present inability to connect with, with people in her life was, for me, really at the heart of the book, actually, because what we're dealing with is someone who's hyper-successful, uh, she's well-paid, um, she's respected, But she doesn't have a lot of friends, her relationship with her, you know, lover, I guess, is, um, there's no love in it, you know, there's no sensuality, there's no touch in it, but, and a lot of that stems back from the the loss of her father because he's, you know, you know, and you know this from having children, but when you decide to love completely, you make yourself incredibly vulnerable. And she really, really loved her father and was uh, when he passed away, she was still young enough that she was just innocent and completely open to the love and and didn't really she wasn't old enough to have been hurt yet and realize that you, you can lose people, you know. and so he his his his, his death was really. A pivot in making her the the somewhat cold-hearted untouchable person that um that we meet uh, when the book opens right because when when the book starts you have her pegged as the
0: ultimate anti-mom <laughs> yeah. um, and you even had her quoted as saying reproduction is akin to eco-terrorism and that <laughs> yeah. she called reading short-sighted that she's uh, even helping out with a conference called reproduction with the re kind of crossed 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 out, out, Um, you know, asking, you know, what will we make when we stop having kids and are the needs of people who, for whatever reason, decisively remain childless going to be different than those who reproduce? Um, Was it the death of her father that made you want to create a character that didn't want children or did you think that was sort of just a good um, mechanism for contrasting with...
1: Um, I think it's both, really. I mean, mean, it... it, um, took me a while to get there but I it really felt like putting her specifically on a task force that was coming up with products for the voluntarily childless not only made sense in terms of future forecasting because the world is it's overpopulated right Mm -hmm. so people can choose to have children they can choose not to but the the idea that um you know perhaps it's not environmentally the best idea to have more than one or two ch- uh, children, that, that, that's something that could be argued, but, but more, it was really for, I wanted to set up um, a sterile environment, both literally and figuratively, where consumerism and overconsumption was incredibly heightened, as was um, sort of modern American society's lack of, of empathy uh, and compassion. So when you read the book, you're exposed to a lot of these brainstorming sessions where they're literally trying to think, well, what can we come up with for, pe- for people who decide not to have children? What cosmetic products will they need? What kind of furniture? What's their house going to look like? What's their car going to look like? Does it have, you know, is it driverless? Is it um, so on and so forth? So the way that they're speaking about the people who are going to be using these, products is in a very robotic cold manner where I do think the minute you invite children into the equation um there's a hundred thousand different ways to parent but I think a common denominator if you're going to try to be a good parent is is an uh, compassion right empathy and ability to be sensitive to other people's feelings so that was too much kindness for the beginning of the book. I, I, it was important to have her and in, in an element of, um, yes, yeah, sterility, and also, you know, she's forty, she's moving past forty, so there is she has decided she's not going to have children, but her in theory. It might not be too late if she if she changed her mind. I loved
0: how in the story you had all these like twenty somethings talking oh, about yeah. <laughs> what they do with their furniture versus people with kids and how you know, people with kids like you use your your sofas so much more versus just occasionally sitting on them for wine and cheese. Like, just wine, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking about my sofas like, Oh my gosh, you know, all the pillow cushions become like, you know, a raft and you know, everything well, f- is just everything's used. a fort. Everything right? becomes I mean, something else and make it. It's leave. funny,
1: yeah, because I have I have friends, I have um a lot of friends were much, much younger. I have some friends who don't have children and it's so true that I would go to their house and the way that they were setting up, you know, the wine and the cheese yeah. was so specifically like, Oh, I'm excited <laughs> to use this coffee table yeah. and it's gonna be used for this one thing where I mean our coffee table's just we don't even have one anymore because it became a Uh, A hazard
0: (laughs) (laughs) Even what you said About the fridge Which I've been thinking about Ever since Like how you How people with kids Open the fridge Open and close Open and close Open and close All the time And you don't have to Think so much about the supplies you need, whereas people right. who don't have kids yet or aren't home as much, you know, every so often they're like, oh, I wonder what's in the
1: fridge. It's so funny that you notice the, the fridge thing because I think I had to edit out. I was a little obsessed with this fridge thing because <laughs> I was writing it at a time where um, my husband and I live in Litchfield County now, but for 10 years we lived in the Berkshires in a town called Sandersfield. It's it, pretty hard to get more remote. Um, like, the post office was up for sale. I mean, there was not <laughs> a lot going on. And um, we lived a half an hour from anything. You wanted a cup of coffee, gas, it's a half hour in the car. And um, when we had our child, you know, we lived in this sort of loosey-goosey manner. We rarely had, like, the fridge wasn't ever stocked enough, but we we just make pasta. Right. We are both artists, it d- didn't care. But then we had my daughter. It started to really, really matter. You know, if if my husband would go out and forget something from the grocery list, milk. If he forgot the milk, right, it became this tremendous thing. Like a, that would be an hour out of my day or his back and forth to get this. Be- it, the, the fridge became like what was in the fridge became it became so so important. Um, so yeah, I <laughs> have a little fridge obsession. <laughs>
0: I I I feel like. As soon as I go into people's homes, I'm soon like. I know you around. want to look.
1: Yeah, it's like being in the grocery line with someone. Yeah. It's a very intimate thing. You've seen yeah. how they feed themselves, and if they have a family. Even now, like when I go family. to my mom's house, and the first thing I do is open the fridge.
0: Now it's like so empty and sad in there. Oh, you know, I'm yeah. <laughs> like, mom, you have no food, right? Because we have, we're like <laughs> yeah. overstocked. And yeah. I mean, you know, obviously very lucky. You know, that yeah. we're all in this like world that
1: we can afford right, and right everything else
0: but you know we have like things just flying you can barely pack it all in
1: yeah no i mean some people have more than one fridge you yeah know? exactly so, <laughs> anyway sorry not to keep going on <laughs> no, about I, this, i'm glad life. i'm glad that <laughs> someone else shares my fridge obsession <laughs> um speaking of moms
0: uh for a book about someone who didn't want to be a mom i feel like you did such a great job of painting a picture of sloan's mother and that that mm. dynamic between them and I love the scene uh, when Sloane wakes up in her mother's house in the morning after she spent the yeah. night there for the first time in years. Um, and she's, her mom wants to make her uh, pancakes, and she's like, no, don't do it. <laughs> and then it says, Sloane looked at her mother's mismatched eyes and her wild hair and the bathrobe with the tea stains, And she wanted to fall down on the floor with her and lean against the cupboards and let everything out, tell her mother that her partner preferred rubbing up against strangers than touching her in bed, tell her that there was a darkness in her decision to work for Mammoth. But instead, she just stood there at the fork between the way she wanted her relationship with her mother to be like and the way it actually was. And then she says toast would probably be easier.
1: Oh, yeah. That makes me really sad. That makes me really sad, (laughs) too. I I mean, I know I wrote it, but it still makes... (laughs) I still am very touched by that. Yeah, um... The, the mother in relationship is another really key motor, I think, to this story, and I mean, what you have is someone, her mom is the exact opposite of Sloane, she gives of herself um, readily, generously, um, she self-effaces a little bit, she, she really, Sloane has a sister and her sister's about to have her third child, so her mother's joy is really taking care of other people and she went into overdrive when, when her husband died and, and um, Sloane was unable, she's just not selfless that way and so she's somewhat repelled by her mother's emotional generosity as well as probably being jealous of it because she just, I mean, it's a beautiful thing to see. And she just doesn't have it and, and doesn't know how to communicate with a woman. I mean, it's just so clear in all of their scenes how much it, the mother just wants Sloane to be kind, just stop, yeah. you know, and, and, and touch her, just hug, you know, yeah. like like you just read. She She's like, gosh, if we could just embrace. but. Yeah. It's not as easy as it it, it sounds, and de- I mean, definitely, their relationship was inspired by my own relationship with my mom, who is that kind of woman who just gives and gives and gives, and and the, another another um, commonality is that Sloane and her mother completely struggle from um, a lack of I don't want to not not respect but understanding mm-hmm. regarding what the other person does, so Sloane's not a mother, she's not a very maternal person. She can't really understand where her mother's coming from whereas, you know, even Sloane's colleagues don't really understand what she she does. Her mother doesn't really understand, she doesn't speak any other languages, she has a daughter who lives in France and um, that is very similar to me and my mother when my touch had already come out and I had had an op-ed in the New York Times and and my mom called me and she was like, Did you know you have an article in the New York Times? Like, how did that happen? Do you know someone there? And I was, you know, I was like, God, this is just a really big divide. Do I know someone there? And like, no, I've written two books and this is sort of how it works. And I didn't know whether to be offended or, or just spell it out for her, you know? And, and uh, so that's, yeah, that's a personal <laughs> struggle I
0: have with my mother. I feel like most mother-daughter relationships are complicated. Complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's like sometimes I look at my two little girls now, and I'm like, how? I don't know how. How is this going to evolve into oh, the most yeah. complicated I've, relationship? Oh I joke
1: with my husband. I'm like, I think our daughter won't go to boarding school for high school, but I will. <laughs> I just I can feel this coming. She's really stuck. She's very much like I was, and I I, I hope against hope that I'm wrong, but I I, I foresee some cloudy weather ahead. <laughs> <her> <laughs>
0: Um, you start the book with Sloane being so deprived of physical contact that she'll jump on the crowded subway just to yeah. feel people again, and you know, at the end, you know, not to give anything away, you have her sort of engaged in this very passionate physical relationship, like the complete opposite from the beginning. Um, were you trying to illustrate what's sort of lost with the advent of technology, or just sort of hit home on this uh, sort of universal need for, for touch and human contact?
1: Yeah, there. Um, for for this book, I interviewed um, a professional cuddler um, named Samantha Hess out in Portland, and she's she's actually one of the people who started this movement of a professional touch, professional yeah. hugging, and um, she was telling me that it, even for people who didn't buy into this whole thing of you know professional embraces, all it took. Was an actual hug from from you know a mm-hmm. total stranger. Um, normally, to just get them crying, sobbing, just the simple touch, they didn't need to explain why they were there, or what the problem was, or how confusing it seemed to need you know, to solve the obstacles between them and solving their problem. Just just the embrace was so. Comforting that people just sob. She says most people come to her office just to cry in someone else's arms And so It It was very important To me at a certain point in the story that We allow Sloane a little bit of that unlocking, that physical unlocking as well You know, when she's finally touched Um I mean, she's basically frigid. I mean her mm-hmm. her you know partner doesn't not only does he not, not touch her, but he's he's pronounced to the New York Times that he's never going to. He's quite proud of his post sexuality and she's so busy she's pretending to be fine with it, but she's not fine mm-hmm. with it, you know, and she's completely isolated even her her closest friend is her driverless car. you know she has no touch in her life and um so when she finally has a little, it's just it's it, the the floodgates are, are completely open and, and then you know it's it's fun to have a little sex in in a <laughs> summer book. I think it's, I it's fun. I like to and write you, those scenes. You said
0: the uh, wins the paperback coming out August. 7th, August, yeah, right, perfect. That's <laughs> fun. Um, I know I've honed in a lot on touch because I really loved it and just finished it and <laughs> it's like stirred up so many different thoughts. Thank um, you. No, it was really great. Uh, but can you tell me a little more generally about your path and how you became an, an a novelist and yeah. all the different works and the film film? Writer, oh, all, film everything! Yeah, like, everything. Like, all, I, your well, let's like.
1: see. Um, I think I have somewhat a non typical path um, in that I didn't I didn't study English in college. I went to Brown University and I studied comparative literature and French translation, and then I, I moved to Paris after. Um, college and was working sort of under the table as a translator. And then my official job was a party promoter for Corona Extra, which it's a long story. (laughs) I don't even really like that beer, but it was a way to get a visa. And actually it was a great job for a writer because I worked at night. So, um, I wrote all day and I had been working at that time. Um, so I never got an MFA or anything. I just, I'd always loved to write and read and um, was working on a short story, which was not short. It was just getting longer and longer, and it was getting, it was at 30,000 words, and I showed it to a girlfriend, and she said, well, I think this is a novel. And what was great, because I didn't have a formal background in writing, was that there was no fear. Mm-hmm. It was just not in my mind to think about, I don't know, agents or competition or anything. I thought, oh, it's a novel. Okay, well, I'll keep going. You know, so and, and I, I was writing the book that would eventually become my first book. I'm having so much fun here without you. I, I wrote it very quickly, and actually, I got an agent and an editor very quickly. But I was like a little girl. I mean, I was I don't know, it was 23 or something, and I just didn't know enough about the, the way the the world works, and so I was, doing everything. I was revising all summer long for this editor, and I was doing everything without a contract, and. Long story short, by the time I got back to New York and was supposed to meet this editor and um, she she quit her job and the pro- the the project was just completely orphaned and it actually wasn't published for ten more years wow. um, and it was not that I wrote the book from scratch ten years later, so you know I, in those ten years i mean in the interim i um really wasn't very much part of the literary community. I work in branding on the side, and um kind of kept my word chops up that way you know, mm-hmm. writing copy, and I work as a namer and um my husband's French. I don't know. we started writing films together and then and then what and then i i I don't know after ten years, I really reached a point where I thought, okay well, i'm not I thought I would have a novel I I guess I'll be a published person in a different way well, maybe it'll be little pamphlets or these funny pieces online and I kind of took it as a I tried to feel kind of free and joyful about it and so I started publishing a lot of weird stuff whatever I felt like doing and you know agents started reading it, and I got this agent and um, she was like, you must have a novel, you know, and I, <laughs> oh, it's in a box. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short, we, um, I wrote it over completely from scratch. And yeah, that was, I am having so much fun here without you. That's, that's here yeah. Yeah. I see it. There see it is. It. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: and can you tell me more about the cabins? How is oh yeah. This retreat that you,
1: so the cabins, um, so I I don't... I'm not... My husband, Diego Ungaro, is a filmmaker, and um, we used to collaborate together more than we do now. We would write screenplays together, and um, our films would go on the film festival circuit, and I would go to these film festivals, and I would meet only filmmakers. Um, Not even screenwriters, just filmmakers. And then I would go the next weekend to a writers' festival or a writers' conference, and I would meet only writers. And I would go back and forth and think... Oh, you know, you, this short filmmaker should really meet this short story writer. Gosh, I wish I had a way to get everyone together. And I started thinking of a program where I, I it would be interdisciplinary, and people could not just network but but learn from each other. But um, just logistically, I was just so overwhelming. By where am I going to do this? How am I going to do it? Um, but when we moved from. So I got a web domain for it. I mean, this idea was in the back of my mind for years. But, but when we moved to um, Norfolk, Connecticut, um, it's an old town that historically has a lot of you know great families that, that lived there. And they have these estates that roll down to this beautiful lake. And they have lake cabins. And little by little, I started meeting all these people who had spare houses and spare cabins. And I started thinking well, I've got my places, to, I could do this here, you know, there's enough room, and by that point in my life, I had enough contacts, I felt. So, um, the cabins, I founded it in 2016, and it's an um, interdisciplinary collaborative retreat based on um, skill sharing and um, across disciplines. So, the we keep it low cost, the students are the teachers, so everyone comes is of a caliber where they can teach an hour-long master class in the subject of their their choice um and the only caveat is it can't you can't get up there and read your own work mm-hmm. um we do a sort of closing evening where everyone gets to get up and perform their own well like a talent show basically but that's only on the fourth day and up until then it's really about learning from other people and being a little bit more humble and open-minded and so it's like an intellectual summer camp. Really, you could have a weekend full of. You could have a a dance class followed by a class in a, a carpentry or a stone hmm. engraving or um, um, something something that seems boring but so important, like writing for you know grants, grant mm-hmm. applications, mm-hmm. or something like that. And um, how
0: many people go at one time?
1: So it's very s- small. Uh, we keep it like nine people maximum. Mm-hmm so it's usually between 6 and 9 we we form the group by it's symbiotic you know like yeah. who who can learn from who can learn from who so it's it's really neat so this summer, it, um applications are open until <laughs> july 1st and it'll be our fourth session so it's exciting
0: yeah yeah. Awesome.
1: yeah it's the cabinsretreat.com <laughs> Kevin's
0: retreat.com. Everybody write that down. (laughs) Um, So, aside from, so you have a nonfiction book coming out called After the Book Deal.
1: So, it's after, so it's going to be two books in one, actually. And um, since we last spoke, and the first part of the book will be before the book deal. And then hopefully you'll, I think this is how we're going to do it, You'll, you'll flip it over and you'll have After the Book Deal. So, it'll be a cool resource that people can graduate from, you know, so it'll, it'll be like a giant, giant...
0: And if you don't get a book till you can just tear off half of it and throw it in the Absolutely. garbage.
1: Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Stomp on
0: it and, yep. you know. <laughs> um, And you said you're working on two other novels.
1: Yes, I have a novel coming out next summer, 2019, called called Costa Alegre and then... Um, another book I'm working on right now that I can't say the title of because it's superstitious.
0: Okay. (laughs) Can you say what either of those books are going to be about?
1: Yeah, Costa Alegre is a big departure for me. Um, It's a little bit more experimental. Um, It's about the surrealist artists who were exiled from Europe during World War II. Um, It's heavily inspired by the story of Peggy Guggenheim who... Um, the American art heiress who helps helps a lot of European intellectuals and artists escape Mm -hmm. Europe um, before uh, Hitler invaded. Um, In real life, they went to New York. In my book, they go to the jungle in Mexico, and the whole book is written uh, in a diary format from Mm. um, Peggy Guggenheim's uh, daughter, a Mm. 15-year-old daughter.
0: (laughs) Wow, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, and what's and the other book you didn't want to talk about? You uh, don't oh, have to. um, no, it's okay.
1: I can tell it's all right. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's too. I'm too close. Okay. Yeah, that's it's, all right. I, I will say that it's going to be another um, um, portrait of uh, a troubled couplehood. Okay.
0: <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. I won't brag. Um, in terms of your writing and how you do your best work and everything, what are your what's your go-to schedule or how do you... Child do care. You? It yeah.
1: all comes down to quality child care and my child being healthy. Um, if, if those things are intact, then I can...
0: How old is your daughter now?
1: She's four. Okay. She's four. Um, well, th- thankfully, I have a very supportive partner who actually does a lot of the bulk of the child rearing. So perfect week in a perfect world looks like we get our daughter on the bus at 8 17 and then from 8 30 to two I will write more or less right mm-hmm. I mean you know you have there's some emailing right, right, right. there's some lunch <laughs> but um I really try to to write and then by two I'm sort of tapped out and I trying to do something nice for myself that involves exercise, Mm -hmm. and then that's it. You know, the day's got to go get my daughter, and then and then I try to be a mom and a wife um, and not work once she's home. And I'm pretty strict about it. If I'm not careful with myself, I'll just work myself to death. So I try to set up these, you know, don't work in the evenings and I don't work on the weekends. And I find I really. I need that and and that when Monday comes around I'm actually excited to work again rather than feeling like oh my god I'm just working myself into the grave so um I try to work really hard when I'm working and then not work <laughs> that's good. Do you have
0: any advice for aspiring authors out there? Of
1: course. I have a whole book coming out about that. Yeah. Um, well, a couple things. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, how long do you have? Yeah. No, no, I have I have two pieces of advice, and um, one is craft and one is just practical. The practical piece of advice is do not go into uh, the writing life expecting to support yourself by writing. You know, be smart about it and... Um, uh, get a job, preferably with health insurance, something that you don't hate, where you're not mm-hmm. going to come home, a miserable shell of a person. Um, or if you have someone to support you, fantastic. Um, and don't look down on, you know, waitressing or bartending or babysitting is actually, the hourly rate is really good <laughs> compared to, you'll make more babysitting than you do as an adjunct. So, you know, don't knock these like simple, um, or what, what comes off as a, uh, sort of hourly, uh, I don't know, occupations, and then craft-wise, don't let perfectionism get in your way, I speak to a lot of people who are just so, they feel like what's on the screen needs to be perfect, and what's coming out of the printer needs to be perfect, and the first draft is the one that's going to get them the book deal, and you know, you shouldn't It's good to push yourself, obviously, and try to come up with something beautiful that you're proud of. But just know that, ultimately, if you keep working really hard, you'll have a support team around you at some point. You know, hopefully you'll have an editor, an agent, some writing friends. And these people will help you get it just right. But if you don't get the words on the page, you're never going to get there. So don't... For so long, no one's going to see your work, so you might as well put stuff on the page and have fun and um don't sit there not writing because you're 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 ashamed it's not going to be great it's not going to be great the first drafts are terrible terrible <laughs> <laughs> awesome
0: well thank you so much uh My thanks pleasure. for coming in i'm excited for what you have coming down the pike and thank you <laughs> me
1: too I'm, I'm very pleased to be
0: here thank you for having uh, of me Of all right take care thanks for listening to moms don't have time to read books this episode was sponsored by Babo Botanicals, B-A-B-O botanicalscom dot uh, Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating. Thanks so much for your time. <laughs>